وَآمِنُوا آمِنُوا From the root letters Hamza, Meem, Noon What's the masdar, the main word? Iman So Aminu is from Iman What does Aminu mean? You all believe So all of you should believe In what? Bima anzaltu In that which I have sent down Anzaltu Noon zailam What is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent down? What's the latest, the final that Allah sent? The Qur'an So bima anzaltu The Qur'an The Bani Israel are told directly Very clearly Believe in what I have sent down Do they have a choice then of believing or not believing? Can they say, oh no, it's sufficient for us to believe in the Torah and the Injil? Can they say that? No. Would that be acceptable from them? No. Because Allah is telling them very directly, believe in what I have sent down, the Qur'an. And this Qur'an, what is it? Allah describes it as musaddiqan. Musaddiqan, one that confirms. What does it confirm? Lima ma'akum, for that which is with you. What was with the Bani Israel? The Torah, the Zabur, the Injil, and the various teachings that the rest of the Prophets had given them. So Allah says that this Qur'an is مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعَكُمْ It confirms what is with you. The word مُصَدِّق, what do you think the root is? صَد, دَال, قَاف. What does صِدْق mean? Truthfulness. مُصَدِّق is one who does تَصْدِيق. One who does تَصْدِيق. What does tasdiq mean? Tasdiq is to affirm the truthfulness of something or someone. For example, let's say one person goes to the teacher and says, somebody is calling you outside. And then another person comes and says, yes, she's right. Teacher, you are being called outside. So the second student, what did they do? They affirmed the truthfulness of the first student. You understand what tasdiq is now? So musaddiq, one who verifies one who declares as true. One who affirms the truthfulness. So this Qur'an is a musaddiq. It confirms the truthfulness of what? The books that are with you. Question is how? How does the Qur'an confirm the truthfulness of the Torah and the Injil? In two ways. In two ways. First of all, the Torah and the Injil. What do the Bani Israel believe about them? That they are revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qur'an, what does that say? That the Torah and the Injil are revealed by who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Qur'an confirms the Torah and the Injil as being from who? Allah. As being divine, revealed scriptures. Clear? That the Qur'an confirms that the Torah and the Injil are what? Divine, revealed scriptures. Secondly, the Qur'an confirms the truthfulness of what is mentioned in the Torah and the Injil. How? That in the Torah and the Injil, it was revealed that the final messenger will be sent. The final book will be sent. And it will be like this and this. Meaning the description was given in the Torah and the Injil. And the Qur'an is exactly like that description. The Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was exactly like that description. Because we learn that the Jews who lived in Medina, it is said about them, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ they recognize the Messenger ﷺ as in fact the Messenger as well as they recognize their own children. Is there any difficulty you find in recognizing your own child? Not at all. Similarly, when they saw the Messenger, they knew he is the Messenger. They had no doubt, no confusion whatsoever. They were certain. So in this way, the Qur'an was musaddiq of the Torah and the Injil. So musaddiq lima ma'akum. Allah says, 
believe in that. Why? Why should they believe in the Qur'an? Because if they don't believe, if they don't follow, will their iman be accepted? No. And besides, if they believe, that's a source of great reward for them. We learned that the Prophet ﷺ said, three people will get double reward. Three types of people will get their reward twice. Amongst them is a believer from the people of the scriptures. A believer from who? The people of the scriptures, so the Jews and the Christians. Who has been a true believer in his prophet and then believes in me. So he was a true believer in who? In his prophet, Musa salam or Isa salam or any other prophet that was sent to them. And then he also believes in me, in the Prophet wasallam. This person will get how much reward? Double reward. So it's a great thing. This is why, آمِنُوا بِمَا أَنزَلْتُ And why should you not believe? It is مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعَكُمْ It confirms what is with you. It's not something different. And Allah warns them, وَلَا تَكُونُوا And do not become كَافْ وَاوْنُونَ كَوْنُ Do not become أَوَّلَ First أَوَّلْ Hamza وَاو لَامْ First. Don't become the first who kafirin. Who is kafir? One who disbelieves. Be he with it. Don't be the first to disbelieve in the Qur'an. Doesn't mean it was okay for them to be the second or the third to disbelieve in the Qur'an. Is that what it means? Don't be the first to disbelieve in it. Doesn't mean it was okay for them to be the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. No. What it means by this is, that don't set the bad precedent. Because if you disbelieve, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The people after you are also going to disbelieve. If you disbelieve, the people after you are also going to disbelieve. If you believe, the people after you are also going to believe. وَلَا تَكُونُوا أَوَّلَ كَافِرٍ Allah also tells them, وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا and do not buy, do not purchase. تَشْتَرُوا شِينْ رَأْيَ إِشْتِرَاء And what does إشتراء mean? To buy or sell. To buy or sell. Over here it gives the meaning of purchasing, taking. Okay? Like we learned earlier. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوُ الضَّلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَىٰ They bought, they purchased misguidance instead of guidance. So do not اشتروا بِآيَاتِ With my verses. سَمَنًا A price. Saman is from the root letters سَمِيم نُون Have you heard of the name Samina? Samina. Have you heard of that name? Huh? Saman means price, value. And Samina, very precious. Very valuable. Okay? So, Samanan Qalila. What does Samanan Qalila mean? Little price. Qalil Qaf Lam Lam. Very little. A little value. A petty price. So don't take, in exchange of my verses, a petty price. That you give my verses away, and you take in exchange what? A petty price, a very little price, a very little benefit. What does it mean by this? لَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا How could they sell the verses of Allah? How could they do that? Remember we learned earlier that selling means preferring one thing over the other. Like the munafiqeen, what did they do? They purchased misguidance for guidance. So they preferred misguidance over guidance. So similarly, you don't prefer Samanan Qalila over my verses. Don't prefer worldly benefit over what? My verses. This worldly benefit that you would gain in exchange for giving up my verses. 
question is, what are these verses referring to? These verses can be understood in a number of ways. First of all, they can be understood as those verses which are in the Torah and the Injil which describe the Prophet ﷺ, which describe the Qur'an. So don't give them up, meaning don't reject them or don't alter them or don't remove them or don't distort them or don't misinterpret them just to gain some worldly benefit. Because you see, the problem was that the Prophet ﷺ, he was from the Bani Ismail. He was not from the Bani Israel. And for the Jews to accept a prophet from Bani Ismail was a disgrace. It was a humiliation and embarrassment for them. Because they called Bani Ismail what? Ummiyun, unlettered people. And they thought very highly of themselves. So if they believed in the final messenger, what did that mean? Everyone was going to be the same and they were in fact going to be lower than who? The prophet who was from the Ummiyin. Because remember that they kept their religion only to themselves and thought very highly of themselves. They were very proud of themselves. All the non-Jewish people, what were they? A second class citizen of this world, in other words. They looked down on the rest of the people. So for them to accept him as a messenger, it was very difficult for them. So what they did was that they said, oh, these verses, they're not there anymore. Or they actually refer to somebody else. I remember I had a conversation with a Christian man once. He was trying to preach to me. He was telling me about this apostle, unlettered apostle. I'm like, who is he? What is he? I mean, can you give me his description? He said, oh, he's already come. I'm like, okay, who is he? He's not Muhammad that you believe in. Okay, what's the description that you find? He's going to be unlettered and he's going to be this and this and this. I'm like, all of these descriptions, you can find them in the Prophet ﷺ. He said, no, no, it doesn't refer to him because I don't know what explanation he gave, but the text is clear. But what did they do? They distorted the description or they completely removed it. Or they altered it. Or they said, no, this is not going to happen. This actually means something different. So Allah is telling them, لا تشتروا بِآيَاتِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا What will you get in exchange for doing this? Something of this dunya? And anything of this dunya, what is it? ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا It's a petty price. It's very little. Why? Because the enjoyment of this world is little. It's limited. It's going to perish one day. Even if a person got the entire world, is that enough? No. I told you, the entire earth's fill in gold is not going to save a person on the Day of Judgment. So the entire world is what? Qaleel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, in Surah An-Nisa, Ayah 77, That say, the enjoyment of this world is little. It's very little. So لَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا Secondly, it can also be understood that ayat can refer to other verses of the scriptures, okay, which they distorted, or they changed its meaning, or they completely removed, or they altered its meaning, they misinterpreted them, whatever they did. Why? Just to gain worldly benefit. Because the problem with the Bani Israel was that over time, the knowledge of the deen was only limited to their learned people, the scholars. The masses were absolutely ignorant. Is that the scene that we see today amongst the Muslims as well? Many times. People don't have any idea. Any idea whatsoever about the deen. And what do they do? Whatever somebody else tells them. So, you can say the religious crowd, they manipulated the rest of the people. How? That they altered the deen. They changed the deen. Saying, oh this means this, and this means that, and you don't have to do this, and yes this punishment will not be given to you. 
they would do that to gain the appreciation of the rest of the people the crowd so that they would look upon them for example if there is a person who doesn't want to wear hijab and we know that hijab is an obligation upon muslim women let's say there is a girl who says i don't want to wear it she goes to a person who has apparently learned a lot about the deen and she asks him am i supposed to wear it he thinks if i say yes she's not going to come to me again and if i say no then she will listen to me she will always look up to me she will always consult me if i say yes she's not going to like that and she won't ask me anything so this is what they would do they would change the deen just to please people and especially they would you can say sell verdicts we can give you this verdict and the price is this much money like for example even today amongst muslims there are those who say if you have missed any prayer then you have to give a certain amount of money for each prayer you know that so for example if you have missed 10 years of salah let's say for 10 years you didn't pray you didn't bother about praying so calculate how many salahs you had to pray for each salah you have to pay for example 10 dollars multiply that how much will it be thousands of dollars give us that money thousands of dollars you didn't pray so give us all that money so i'm just saying that this is exactly what the bani israel used to do sell the religion to gain money so allah says la tashtaru bi ayati thamanan qalila don't disgrace my religion like that don't disgrace my verses like that that you're giving them up you're changing them just to make money and then allah says wa iyaya fattaqun and fear only me fattaquni have taqwa of me just as earlier it was said farhabuni now allah says fattaquni and what does it mean by taqwa taqwa is to protect yourself from what the punishment of allah how by doing what he has commanded and staying away from what he has forbidden wa iyaya fattaqun let's listen to the recitation and then inshallah we will continue stand up everybody ya bani israil azkuru ni'mati allati an'amtu alaykum wa awfu bi'ahdi wa awfu bi'ahdi awfi bi'ahdikum wa iyaya farhabun وَآمِنُوا بِمَا أَنزَلْتُ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعَكُمْ وَلَا تَكُونُوا أَوَّلَ كَافِرٍ بِهِ وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِآيَاتِي ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا وَإِيَّايَ فَاتَّقُونَ So we see in these verses, the Bani Israel are especially being invited to believe in who? the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the quran because that is what they were supposed to do and at the same time they're being reminded have fear of allah alone fulfill your covenant perform your obligations and of your obligations is to believe in the messenger and don't fear people don't prefer the worldly life fear who only allah and hope for reward in the hereafter then allah further advises them wala talbisul haqqa and do not mix the truth talbisu tam ba sin labasa yalbisu is to mix one thing with the other so that you cannot distinguish between the things that have been mixed up you cannot tell them apart okay mix things together so that you cannot tell them apart so that you're confused what is this and what is that for example if you have 
one child's blocks that are all blue, another child's blocks that are all blue as well. And you mix them up together. Can you tell between the two? Which one belongs to Hassan and which one belongs to Hussein? Can you tell? You can't. Because they're mixed up together. You cannot distinguish between the two anymore. So this is what labs is. So la talbisu, do not mix. Do not mix what? The truth, al-haq, with what? Bil-batil, with the falsehood. Haq, haqaf, qaf, truth, and batil, batalam. What is batil? Falsehood. So do not mix the truth with the falsehood in a way that you cannot distinguish what is right and what is wrong. You cannot tell them apart. You cannot tell what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing. For example, the Bani Israel, because they were the knowledgeable people, they were known as the Ahlul Kitab, the Arabs, they would look up to them. And as I mentioned to you, that the masses of the Bani Israel, they were ignorant. And only their scholars, they knew about their religion. So a lot of people depended on them for many religious issues, for many religious matters. So when the Prophet ﷺ came, obviously people wondered, is he true? Is he not? Are we supposed to believe in him? Are we not supposed to believe in him? So when they would consult their scholars, what would they say? Yeah, he is a messenger, but he's only for the Arabs. You're not supposed to follow him. It's okay. For us is our own messenger. Have you heard of something like that today? People acknowledge the truthfulness of Muhammad ﷺ. They acknowledge the truthfulness of the Qur'an even. They do. But what do they say? He was only for the Arabs. So when they would say such statements, people would be in confusion. Okay, are we supposed to believe in him? Are we not supposed to believe in him? Are we to follow him? Are we not to follow him? So Allah tells them, do not mix the truth with the falsehood. Keep them both separate. Do not mix them up so that people cannot tell what the right is and what the wrong is. And unfortunately, even today, this is done. Oh, this is right and that is also right. You can do anything. Well, there's got to be one right and one wrong. Otherwise, why would Allah send this sharia? Why would Allah reveal the Qur'an if everything was okay? So, لَا تَلْبِسُ الْحَقَّ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتَكْتُمُ الْحَقِّ And conceal the truth. تَكْتُمُ كَافْتَ مِيمْ كَتَمَ Is to conceal, to hide something, so that it cannot be seen anymore. So don't conceal the truth. Think about it. Why would a person mix the truth with the falsehood? Why? In order to conceal the truth. So don't hide the truth. Whatever truth you have been told, make it known to the people. Notice, وَتَكْتُمُ وَتَكْتُمُ Doesn't mean, and you should hide. No. وَتَكْتُمُ is connected with the beginning of the ayah. In the beginning, what has been said? لَا تَلْبِسُ So the same la also applies here. So just as it was لَا تَلْبِسُ It means, وَلَا تَكْتُمُ La is not mentioned, but it's implied, it's understood. Okay? So, وَلَا تَلْبِسُ الْحَقَّ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتَكْتُمُ الْحَقَّ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ While you know. تَعْلَمُونَ عَيْنْ لَا While you know. What do you know? You know the truth. In other words, don't deliberately hide the truth. Confuse it with falsehood. Keep them both separate. What does this ayah show to us? That the Bani Israel were supposed to believe in and follow the truth and also make it known to the people. They were also supposed to inform the rest of mankind about it. And of the truth was what? The truth of the Prophet ﷺ, the truth of the Qur'an. But they gave mixed answers. When people asked them directly, what did they do? They gave mixed answers. So they're being told, don't do this. Don't hide the truth. The truth that you know, make it known. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ While you know. Then Allah says, وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ 
They were further advised that establish the prayer. Aqimu. What does it mean by aqimu? Just stand in prayer? To pray salah as you should pray. To give the haq of the salah. To give the due of the salah. So aqimu salata. Establish the prayer. Meaning pray as you should be praying. In the right way. In the prescribed times. In the right manner. In congregation. وَآتُوا zakata And give the zakah. Atu. Hamzata ya to give. So atu zakata, all of you give the zakah. What is zakah? Zakat is mandatory charity. It is the mandatory charity, the wajib charity, the wajib sadaqa, which is given on a specific type and amount of wealth. To who? To specific recipients. You don't have to give zakat on every type of wealth that you have. Similarly, you don't give zakat to just anybody. No. It's given on specific type and amount of wealth. And secondly, to specific recipients. And it's also of a certain amount. So, atu zakata, give the zakah. And the Bani Israel were also told, warka'u ma'ar raki'een. And bow down with those who bow down. Irka'u, raka'af'een, raka'u, ruku'u. What does ruku'u mean? To bow down. Can you bow down just like that? For example, I just feel like doing ruku'u. Can I just do ruku'u on its own? When can I do ruku'u? In salah. So by saying warka'u, what does it mean? Pray salah. And ruku'u has been mentioned only why? Because of its importance. Because of the humility that it shows. So warka'u, bow down with who? Ma'ar raki'een, with those people who bow down. Ar raki'een is a plural of raki'. So bow down with those who bow down. What does it mean by that? Pray in congregation. Pray along with them. That when they're praying, you also pray. What do we see here? The Bani Israel are commanded to fulfill their obligations, to perform their duties. And of them, the most important, salat. And then also, zakat. Why are these two mentioned specifically? Because salat is the haq of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And zakat is the haq of who? People. Okay? A person who will pray salat, he will also perform other duties. A person who will give the zakat, he will also perform other duties to people. So these two acts of worship, they are the source of many other acts of worship. They lead to many other acts of worship. Over here when they're told, وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ It's not that they were only supposed to do that and forget the rest of the commands. No. These two are mentioned because they are of utmost importance. So do this. وَرْكَعُوا مَعَ الرَّاكِعِينَ And in this, وَرْكَعُوا مَعَ الرَّاكِعِينَ they're being told that pray along with who? The rest of those who pray. Who is it that used to pray at that time? Of the Prophet ﷺ? The Prophet ﷺ as well as his companions. Remember this is in Medina. The Jewish tribes lived in Medina. And in Medina was also the Masjid al-Nabawi. Where the Sahaba prayed with the Prophet ﷺ five times a day. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Bani Israel, believe and you also go and pray along with them. You also go and pray with them. Don't separate yourself from them. Become a part of them. What does this show to us? What lesson does this give us? The importance of unity. The importance of unity. That be with those people who are worshipping Allah. Stay with them. Don't separate yourself from them. Be a part of the jama'ah, the congregation. Don't separate yourself from them. Now, from this ayah, scholars have also derived the importance of praying salah in congregation, in jama'ah. 
Remember that praying in congregation, this is something that is an obligation on men. However, it's not an obligation on women. But do you know what the reward is of praying in congregation? 27 times more. Because sometimes we say, yeah, I won't pray right now. I'll pray later. Okay, there's a genuine reason you have to go somewhere or you have to do something urgently. That's a different matter. But if for no reason, you're saying, yeah, I can pray later. In the Jamaat, they take too long. They take 10 minutes to pray. I can pray in 5 minutes on my own. Should we do that? No, we shouldn't do that. Because what are we losing out on? A lot of reward. Remember that extremely important that when the Jamaat is going on, we should join that. Unless there's a genuine reason that prevents you from doing that. And also remember that Jamaat is an obligation for who? For the men. I'll tell you a hadith. We learn that Abu Hurairah who he narrated that a blind man once came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, O Messenger of Allah, I have no one to guide me to the masjid. I'm blind and I have no one to guide me to the masjid when it's time to pray, when the Jamaat is going on. So the Prophet ﷺ allowed him and when the man turned away, the Prophet ﷺ called him back and he said, Can you hear the adhan? When the adhan is pronounced, can you hear it in your home? He said, Yes, I can. So the Prophet ﷺ said, then you must respond to it. If you hear the call to prayer, then you have to respond to it. Imagine he was a blind man. He wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed. Similarly, from another hadith, we learn that Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he narrated that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he saw a man who was praying alone by himself. Perhaps he came late to the masjid, so he missed the jama'ah. So he was praying by himself. So the Prophet وسلم, asked the people, who will give sadaqah to him? Who will give sadaqah to this man who is praying alone? What did he mean by that? That who will pray with him so that he can increase in his reward. So that his reward can be multiplied. Inshallah, the rest of the details of congregation we can study later. But right now what I want you to understand is that when the Jama'ah is going on, then what should we do? Pray in it, join in it. Because I see unfortunately that right after our class when it is time for prayer, yes, a lot of people are gone. But many people are also here. If you have to pray, then avail that opportunity. Don't just let it go by. Because on the Day of Judgment, you know what's going to happen? We're going to wish for the smallest of good deeds even. Smallest of good deeds. We think, yeah, I have enough. At least I'm praying. But on that day, you will want more. Has it ever happened with you that you go to the mall with your friend? You have $100 and she has $200 or something like that. And she ends up buying something that you cannot afford. Do you say, yeah, it's okay. You may say it, but you will wish for more. Isn't it? You will wish that you had brought more money. You wish that you had more money, that you could buy more stuff, you could enjoy more. So how is it that when it comes to dunya, samanan qalila, we say, we want more. And when it comes to jannah and reward, yeah, it's okay. As long as I enter jannah. When you enter jannah, then you will wish that you will be higher. You will wish that you had more. So don't let these opportunities go by. So warka'u. Bow down with those who bow down. Pray along with them. Join the congregation. I mentioned it to you that for women it's not an obligation but for men it is. And this doesn't mean that you exempt yourself from any jama'ah. The reason why I'm mentioning all these ahadith to you is that you also avail that opportunity. Alright? Inshallah. Let's listen to the recitation. يا بني إسرائيل اذكروا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم وأوفوا بعهدي 
So this was Bani Israel. But as I mentioned to you earlier, we study every verse with who in mind? Ourselves. So what lessons do we learn from these verses for ourselves? That we must accept the truth completely and we should not alter it to suit our own desires or leave out parts of the book just because we don't like them, concealing the truth. To fear Allah more than other people. And fearing Allah means what? What does it mean to fear Allah? That we fear His punishment, His anger, His disapproval, that we obey Him. Whether it goes against our desires or it suits our desires. That is the meaning of true fear. Why is it that the Bani Israel are addressed in the Qur'an when they're not reading the Qur'an? Bani Israel are being addressed, right? So they're not reading it. Who's reading it? We are reading it. As I told you earlier that when these verses were revealed, who was primarily being addressed? Those Jews and Christians at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And remember that the Jews, especially those who were in Medina, they would actually come to the Prophet ﷺ, attend his gathering even, listen to the Qur'an even. And they would come and ask him questions as well. And he would recite the Qur'an to them. So this is why these verses were revealed. To give them specific instructions. Today, two benefits of this. First of all, we learn. And secondly, we realize that we need to tell them. Because we think that, oh, they're also of the monotheistic religions. They believe in the prophets. They believe in Allah. And that should be sufficient. No, it's our obligation that we tell them. And also, we benefit from what is mentioned. Because many times you will see, the mushrikeen are mentioned in the Qur'an, the Jews and the Christians are mentioned in the Qur'an, and we wonder, they don't read it. We read it. So should we just say that, oh, this refers to them, this refers to them? No. We take two lessons from all such verses. That A, we convey it to them, and B, we don't repeat the same mistakes. Okay? People who believed in Isa salam, they did not keep the message to themselves, rather they spread it. And we see that today, most people, what's their religion? Christianity. So if they were doing it, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send the final messenger? Why? Because Isa salam, he faced a lot of persecution when he was a prophet. And we know that only a few people believed in him. Okay? Only a few people believed in him, the disciples. And they also faced a lot of persecution, opposition from the people. And we see that over time, because of that difficulty, that persecution, they lost the original message and they started inventing many things, they added many things, they misinterpreted many things, they lost many things. And it's quite possible they did it out of innocence. Some may have also done it deliberately. But anyway, the main thing is that they did not have the truth with them. Their religion got corrupted. Just as previously, the Bani Israel, they had Torah. Why did Allah send Isa salam To remind them. Because they drifted away from the original teachings. So similarly, the original teachings that the Christians had, they drifted away from them. 
Isa السلام, instead of following him, what did they do? They started worshipping him. That's a major crime. So that's why Allah sent the last messenger. And besides, he was going to send the last messenger anyway. I'm going to test you a little. Who are the Bani Israel? Just the children of Yaqub His descendants. Amongst the Bani Israel are who? The prophets as well as the other people. Name some of the messengers who were sent to Bani Israel. Musa alayhi salam, who else? Sulaiman alayhi salam, Dawood alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, Yahya alayhi salam, Zakariya alayhi salam, Yusuf alayhi salam, very good. Who was Yaqub alayhi salam? The grandson of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Who was the other son of Ibrahim alayhi salam? Ismail alayhi salam. What were his descendants known as? Banu Ismail. Which messengers were sent to Banu Ismail? Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Any other messenger? No. Why were the Bani Israel special? How were they chosen? Okay, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had chosen them from all of mankind. For what? For guidance and also with the responsibility to convey the message to the rest of the people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Bani Israel, udkuru ni'mati. Which blessing? So religious blessings as well as? Worldly blessings as well as some special favors that were done to them simply because who were they? The chosen people. So, Udkuru ni'mati allati an'amtu alaykum. Wa'awfu bi'ahdi. Fulfill my covenant. Which covenant is this? Which promise is this? The promise to establish salah, give zakat, believe in the messengers, support the messengers, and give a good loan to Allah. What does it mean by that? Spending in the way of Allah. Which promise did Allah made with them in return? Forgiveness and paradise. Does it mean we're not allowed to fear other things, other people? What does it mean by this? Yes, we should not fear others in such a way that it prevents us from obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is this referring to? What were they told to believe in? The Qur'an. What's the description of the Qur'an given over here? That it is musaddiq. What does musaddiq mean? How is the Qur'an musaddiq? What are the two ways in which Qur'an is musaddiq of the previous books? Okay, so first of all, it confirms that they are divinely revealed scriptures, that Allah revealed them. Secondly, it confirms what was inside of them, what was mentioned in them. So whatever description was given in the books about the messenger, about the Qur'an, that's exactly how the Qur'an is. So in that way, the Qur'an is musaddiq. وَلَا تَكُونُوا أَوَّلَ كَافِرٍ بِهِ Doesn't mean it's okay to be the second to disbelieve, the fifth to disbelieve, the tenth to disbelieve. Don't set the bad trend, the evil trend, because if you do it, other people will follow you. Now imagine, the Yahud at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Jews at that time, they saw him, they recognized him, they knew he was the messenger. But the majority of them did not accept him. They did not believe in him. Why? Because they were jealous, out of envy. That how is it possible that he has been chosen as a messenger, someone from Banu Ismail and not from the Banu Israel? So because of this pride, because of this arrogance, they did not believe. And then what happened? All the generations that came after them, they also disbelieved in the Prophet ﷺ. See how they set the bad trend and it has continued even till today. And over time, what did they do? They altered the message, they altered the signs, they misinterpreted them, they distorted them. So as a result, the truth got mixed up with the falsehood. 
What does it mean by this? Do not sell my verses for a petty price. Do not change them just to get worldly benefit. Do not sell the religion for worldly benefits. That you change the religion just in order to get worldly benefits. And worldly benefits, what was thamanan qalila? What was the petty price they were getting? Either it was wealth or it was their leadership as well. Because they were maintaining their leadership. Because people were always in need of them. And they would keep coming back to them. And only me you should fear. What does it mean by this? Only me you should have taqwa off. This command different from the previous one. Earlier it was said, Now it is being said, There has to be a difference between the two. Okay, so out of fear of Allah, do what He has commanded and stay away from what He has forbidden. And then the Bani Israel are told, What does it mean by this? Do not mix the truth with the falsehood. How is the truth mixed with the falsehood? The truth was not clear from the falsehood. So to mix them up in such a way that halal is not clear from what is haram. That you're in confusion. Is it okay? Is it not okay? Everything is okay or everything is wrong. The deen is presented in such a way that people cannot figure out what to do. They're just left in confusion. So لا تلبسوا الحق بالباطل Do not mix up the two. Keep حق as حق and keep باطل as باطل. Can you give me one example of how the Bani Israel did that? That when the people of Makkah, the Mushrikeen, they asked them, or when the rest of the Jews asked them about the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ, they gave a very mixed answer, a very vague answer. So the people were confused. And as a result, they just did not believe in the Prophet ﷺ. وَتَكْتُمُ And you conceal the truth. What does it mean by this? That you conceal the truth. That the scholars knew about what the truth was, but they did not tell the people about it. Remember that it is forbidden, it is prohibited to conceal the truth, to hide the truth. We're not allowed to hide it. Now, what does it mean by hiding the truth? It is done in two ways. First of all, somebody comes and asks you about something. For example, somebody asks you about what is in the Qur'an. They ask you, but is this mentioned in the Qur'an or is that in the deen? Is this part of the deen? If somebody asks you, is this haram or is this halal? So if you don't give the right answer and you know it, then is this hiding the truth? Yes. If you don't give the answer and you know it, is this hiding the truth? Yes, it is. So one is when somebody comes and asks you directly and you don't give a proper answer, this is what? Hiding the truth. We're not allowed to do that. Secondly, it is also done when a person is doing something wrong or doing something in a way that you know that they need to know the truth. You know that they are in need of knowledge. Like for example, if there is a child who is eating something that's harmful for himself, or for example, a person is eating something that is harmful for themselves, they don't realize, and you know that that food is corrupted, you know that that particular thing they're eating, they're touching, is dangerous for them, but you don't tell them. Is that right? No, you're concealing the truth. You should not hide it. Because what we do is we say, oh, they never asked me. They never asked me. Like for example, if there is a particular meal that has been prepared in such a way that there is something that could be dangerous for one person. Why? Because they're allergic to that food. For example, a person is allergic to nuts. And you know that the cake that they're about to eat has nuts in it. Are you going to say, oh, they never asked me if it has nuts? 
Are you going to do that? No. You're going to tell them that look, there are nuts in it. Don't eat it. It's not right for you. It's not okay for you. You cannot say, oh, they never asked me. So kitmanul haq, concealing of the truth is done in two ways. That first of all, when you're asked about it, when you're inquired about it, you don't tell. And secondly, when you see the need of it, when you see the need in people to know about it, you don't let it be known. You don't inform them. وَتَكْتُمُ الْحَقْ Meaning, don't conceal the truth. وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ While you know. And further commands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to them that وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَكَعُوا مَعَ الرَّاكِعِينَ Establish the salah and give the zakah and bow down with those who bow down. What do we learn in this verse? The importance of praying together in congregation. Are there any benefits? Minus the reward. I mean the reward, of course, we all know that. Are there any other benefits of praying together? Can you think of any? Unity. It helps concentrate. How? Because everybody is doing the same thing. Everybody is praying together, so you also are praying with them. You may have noticed that when the actual jama'ah is going on, there is silence. And you're able to focus on your salah. But as soon as it ends, or right before it, Yes, people are praying their sunnah. So they're walking back and forth. Some people have prayed already. Some people are coming. Some people are not. So there's so much distraction at that time. Any other benefit? That when you are standing in a proper saf, then shaitan is not there. Any other benefit? That it helps you correct your salah, improve your salah because of the other people around you. That they are praying properly, so you also end up praying properly. Obviously that should not be our focus to show off or to make sure that other people approve our prayers. But definitely it is a means of improvement.